As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, this is Todd. I figured I would take a look at the uh, latest Unearthed Arcana drop from Wizards since it just dropped this afternoon. I haven't had a chance to look at it at all. I apologize if there is some background noise or doing road work. That's right outside my window. I'm only on the second floor, so I do get quite a bit of street noise when stuff is happening, which isn't very often, but just so happened to be happening now. Anyway. So apologize for that in advance. We got a new Unearthed Arcana today titled Fighter, Ranger, and Rogue. So I thought, well, I got a few minutes. I have access to all my stuff. Why not give it a read and just do it? Just do it online. So here we go. Okay, this document provides playtest options for the Fighter, the Ranger, and the Rogue. All right, we get the little um, gray box that this is playtest content. Use with caution. As a rule, I'm not super big into dropping just playtest stuff unless I've looked at it. You just can add a lot of issues and players. You know, some players are really great if you need to change things on the fly because it's not working right, but other players get really fixated on what they have, and so it can be difficult if something you find is not working whatever whatever combination you're running to undo that so i always look at it with caution but it's always interesting to see what they're thinking of what they've got on the docket what kind of is in their imagination so let's take a look so first we have a martial archetype at third level a fighter gains the martial archetype feature here is a playtest option for that feature the rune knight you discovered how to enhance your martial prowess using the supernatural power of runes The ancient practice of rune magic originated with giants. Skilt graver, rune cutters, can be found among any type of giants, and you'll likely learn your methods first or second hand from such a mystical artisan. Whether you found the giant's work carved into a hill or cave, learned of the runes from a traveling sage, or met the giant in person, you studied the giant's craft. In time, you learned how to carve and apply runes to your equipment and how to invoke their magic ultimately becoming a rune knight. Okay, so I like that. Nice flavor. Gives some campaign possibilities. Obviously adds some depth to giants, or at least some different ways you can involve them. This could be something that, a path possible. If you were doing, say, a first level fighter and they expressed interest in becoming a rune knight, there are certainly elements in the flavor that allow you to... Uh, to bring that into your campaign and have them seek out, have them find runes and seek them out and find giants and so on and so forth, leading up to them at third level, choosing the rune knight path. Or, you know, it could just be 
something in the background, but it's nice additional flavor, which is good. Okay. Bonus proficiencies, third level, rune knight feature. You gain proficiency with Smith's tools and you learn to speak, read, and write giant. Makes sense given the backstory of the craft that they've established. Here we go. Rune magic, third level rune knight feature. You learn how to use runes to enhance your gear. When you gain this feature, you learn how to inscribe two runes of your choice on weapons, armor, or shields. See rune options. Okay. Whenever you finish a long rest, you can touch a number of objects equal to the number of runes you know, and you inscribe a different rune onto each of the objects. To be eligible, an object must be a weapon, a suit of armor, or a shield. Your rune remains on an object until you finish a long rest, and an object can bear only one of your runes. Each time you gain a level in this class, you can replace one rune you know with a different one. Okay. So we're going to get some number of runes. We don't know how many yet. And lasts for the duration of a long rest. You just have to touch an object. You can inscribe different runes and they keep, you know, I guess they fade out at, at the end of that long rest period, whether it's, you know, a day or a week or whatever, you know, if you're going gritty. But it goes from basically a long rest to long rest. Okay. I'm curious if the number of runes you know is going to be tied to your level or not doesn't say here specifically that it is, so I'll be interested to see what that's about. Sorry, I'm just checking. Okay. So let's see the rune options. Here are rune options for the rune magic feature. They are all magical effects. If a rune requires a saving throw, your rune magic save DC is 8 plus your proficiency bonus plus your intelligence modifier. Okay, so we're, so it's, an, this is going to be an intelligence-based kind of class, I guess. The Hill Rune, Hog. This rune's magic bestows a resilience reminiscent of a hill giant. While wearing or carrying an object inscribed with this rune, you have advantage on saving throws against being poisoned, and you have resistance against poison damage. In addition, you can invoke the rune as a bonus action, gaining resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing, da slashing damage for one minute. Once you invoke the rune, you cannot do so again until you finish a short or long rest. Okay. So, by default, you're going to get advantage on saving throws against being poisoned. I don't know how much that matches up with a hill giant. I guess it's the resilience of a hill giant, but I never think of hill giants in poison resistance, but, you know, it's cool. And the other, uh, so it looks like you get one ongoing effect, which is the poison resistance or getting advantage and the poison resistance. In addition, then you get to invoke it once per short or long rest and get resistance to, I guess, regular weapon damage for a minute, which basically means at least one combat. I mean, unless it's a really long combat, you're going to have that for the entire combat. Once you invoke the rune, you can't... Okay, so that's pretty cool. So let's go to the next one. Ild. The Fire Rune. This rune's magic channels the masterful craftsmanship of the fire giant smiths. While wearing or carrying an object inscribed with this rune, your proficiency bonus is doubled for any ability check you make that uses your proficiency with a tool. In addition, when you hit a creature with a weapon attack, you can invoke the rune to summon fiery shackles. The target must succeed on a strength saving throw or be restrained for one minute. While restrained by the shackles, the target takes 2d6 fire damage at the start of each of its turns. The 
target can repeat the saving throw at the end of each of its turns, banishing the shackles on a success. Once you invoke the rune, you can't do so again until you finish short or long rest. Okay, so again, one ongoing effect, one temporary effect. The ongoing effect is interesting. I don't know how many GMs use tools. Let me know in the comments or in the chat or wherever if you use or on Twitter, wherever you find me. If you use, uh, I have a lot of tool usage. Uh, I don't know if that one's, I mean, granted, poison damage is probably is a little bit niche most of the time. I would also say that, uh, yeah, proficiency with tools, uh, you know, thieves tools obviously come to effect. You get proficiency with Smith's tools as part of this. I don't know how much that's coming up, but it's not a bad thing, but it might be uh, campaign dependent, right, on how useful that's going to be. The shackles are very cool. Uh, strength saving throw, which is going to be, again, that DC, so it's going to be 8 plus your proficiency bonus plus your intelligence modifier, so it potentially could be a pretty high saving throw. And they're going to take 2d6 fire damage each of their turns, and it lasts a minute, which again means if you can get that on somebody in round 1, the, there is a good chance that they're going to have those shackles on for the entire uh, combat, which is, I think one minute doesn't sound like much when you think of outside of combat terms, but as a combat mechanism, that's pretty strong because it could potentially take out a foe for a whole, whole combat. You know, you get up there and you hit somebody with, I mean, it's strength. So a lot of creatures are going to have, uh, you know, good strength, but maybe you can get that on a caster type or some other type and they may have a really hard time getting out of it they may not be able to get out of it and not only that but they're going to be taking 2d6 fire damage each round pretty good all right let's move on isei the frost rune this rune's magic evokes a frost giant's stoic calm while wearing or carrying an object inscribed with this rune you have advantage on wisdom animal handling checks and charisma intimidation checks in addition, you can invoke the rune as a bonus action to increase your strength score by 2 for 10 minutes. This increase can cause your score to exceed 20, but not 30. Okay. Once you invoke the rune, you can't do so again until you finish short of one rest. Okay, so here we have the, uh, the ongoing effect is you get advantage on wisdom animal handling checks and charisma intimidation checks. Probably the charisma check is the more useful of the two in most cases. Uh, though, you know, wisdom handle, animal handling can be handy, but intimidation could be very strong under the right circumstances. And you don't have to invoke it, you just have it. So that's pretty good. Now, the other one, increase your strength by two. So you're basically getting a plus one for ten minutes. Uh, I suppose that's pretty good. Again, if you have it in combat, you get a plus one for basically all of the combat and beyond. So that's pretty good. It can go past 20, which I guess could be useful if you're up there. I... I I'm sure there are people who are somehow get up to pushing 30 strength. So I guess that's good. But I don't know. It's not exciting, right? But it's useful. Plus one, all the strength stuff. It's pretty good. Not as flavorful as the shackles. But useful. All right. Sky. Cloud rune. This rune's magic emulates the deceptiveness of a cloud giant. While wearing or carrying an object inscribed with this rune, you have advantage on dexterity, sleight of hand checks, and charisma deception checks. In addition, when you or a creature you, you can see within 30 feet of you is hit by an attack roll, you can use your reaction to invoke the rune and cause that attack to target a different creature within 30 feet of you, other than the attacker, using the same roll. 
This magic can transfer the attack regardless of the attack's range. Once you invoke the rune, you can't do so again. Okay. So the ongoing effect is... This one is advantage on dex, sleight of hand checks, and charisma deception checks. They're both reasonably useful. They're not always going to be applicable, but I assume if you have that... And, uh, and, and since you can have a bunch of these on at once... You'll probably get to you. You know, you'll you'll have access to a, a, basically a few abilities, which is cool. So you get advantage on sleight of hand stuff, which might be good to give to the rogue in your party. I was thinking at first, you know, you're wearing all these yourself, but maybe not. Maybe you you put that on the rogue's leather armor or whatever they're wearing, and now they've got advantage on sleight of hand. Could get you into trouble with the rogue getting a, maybe a little too greedy with sleight of hand checks, but say la vie, or you know, deception checks for the deceptive party member in your life. Or yourself. The uh, the other one, let's see, the uh, the temporary effect, pretty good. So it's essentially it's a reaction. Is that correct? Yeah, you can use your reaction to invoke the rune, and it, it takes it it takes an attack and takes it from you to somebody else. You can't reflect it directly at the attacker, but you can uh, reflect it to another opponent. And it doesn't matter what the range of the original attack was. It only matters that the other creatures within thirty feet of you. Which is good, and if you're a fighter and you're doing fighterly things and you're not a distance fighter, you're probably going to be within 30 feet of other baddies, so that's good. And uh, it it doesn't matter what the attack rolled, so you know if they get some kind of critical, you can all of a sudden bang that critical onto somebody else. Good, but you can only use it once, so it's a nice reaction. I think I like it. I'm still curious as to the connection between what they've come up with and these, because again, these are things like clouds, the deceptiveness of a cloud giant. I don't know, I... I I don't tend to think of cloud giants in the terms that they're using, but um, or, or rather the the thematically, how does a cloud giant fit with this kind of action reaction type thing? But still, it's a cool cool ability. Whoops, went too far. Whoa, where did it go? Whoops, lost my spot. Uh, let's see, here we go. Stein, the stone rune. This rune's magic channels the insightfulness of a stone giant. While wearing or carrying an object inscribed with this rune, you have advantage on wisdom checks, insight checks, and you have dark vision out to a range of 60 feet. If you already have dark vision, its range increases by 30 feet. In addition, when a creature you can see ends its turn within 30 feet of you, you can use your reaction to invoke the rune and force the creature to make a wisdom saving throw. Unless the save succeeds, the creature is charmed by you for one minute. While charmed in this way, the creature has a speed of zero and is incapacitated, descending into a dreamy stupor. Okay, this, the effect ends if the charmed creature takes any damage or if someone else uses an action to shake the creature out of its haze. Once you invoke the rune... Okay, so that's the, the standard boilerplate. Okay, so the ongoing effect here is advantage on insight checks, which is handy, and dark vision, which can also be handy, depending on circumstances. The uh, the the other effects, I don't know why they call it charm. Charm is interesting because it's saying it's charm. Really, you're putting it to sleep. I don't know why they just don't say sleep. And what's weird, too, is just in terms of theme, I would have attached sleep more to the cloud giants, cloud, sleep, that kind of thing, than to stone giants. Or maybe just say they're petrified or something. I don't know. So it's interesting that the, the wording they came up with, maybe there's some lore I'm missing about these various giants and what they do to know why they gave certain abilities to certain giants so it, the theme is not I'm not finding it a perfect fit for these for the creatures that they're putting them with but still it's a cool effect though you only get to do it once but it does again works for a minute so this is another way you could knock 
an opponent totally out of the combat, if someone doesn't wake him up and nobody else does anything to do that, you know, bam, that's one guy who's totally gone. So could be really useful in the right circumstances. Let's go on to Yuvar the Storm Rune. Using this rune, you can glimpse the future like a storm giant. While wearing or carrying an object inscribed with this rune, you have advantage on intelligence arcana checks, and you can't be surprised as long as you are not incapacitated. Handy. In addition, you can invoke the rune as a bonus action to enter a prophetic state for one minute or until you're incapacitated. Until the state ends, when you or another creature you can see within 60 feet of you makes an attack roll, a saving throw, or an ability check, you can use your reaction to cause the roll to have advantage or disadvantage. Wow. Once you invoke the rune, okay. So the ongoing effect. Advantage on intelligence arcana checks. And you can't be surprised. Both fairly handy. As a fighter, maybe you just have to craft a fighter in a way that arcana checks are useful to him. I don't know as a fighter how many arcana checks you're making. You probably have a spellcaster, somebody else who's going to be designed to make um, intelligence arcana checks, but you've got it there if you want. I mean, the can't be surprised is nice. Um, but yeah, the intelligence checks, maybe not the most useful, totally, but it all depends on your party makeup and circumstances. It could be really useful. The, uh, the temporary bonus or the temporary effect, the prophetic state. Heard that that's my cat, Betty. Hi, Betty. Uh, let's see. So for one minute, or until you're incapacitated, when you or another creature you can see within 60 feet makes... Wow, that's pretty strong. Because again, one minute, that's all of combat. So you go into that in round one of the combat, and you are good for basically 10 rounds which should be just about every combat encounter. And then you can basically use your reaction. So I guess you have limits there on once per round. Once you're in the state, you can use your reaction. I think you only get one reaction per round unless you have something else that... I don't know if there's anything that can give you more than one reaction, but I think you only have one. But one roll per turn, you can give it advantage or disadvantage. So that seems really strong. And nice. Okay, Giant Might, another third level runic feature. Okay, so those are all the runes. So we had, how many runes was that? Oops. We have Hill, Fire, that's two. Frost, three. Sky, four. Or Cloud, four. Stein, five. Storm, six. Okay, so one for each. One for each type of giant. Am I missing something? So I guess Titans, are they considered Giants? I guess there's no Titan runes. Okay. Here we go. Giant Might. You can imbue yourself with the Might of Giants. As a bonus action, you magically gain the following benefits, which last for one minute. You are smaller than large. You become large, along with anything you're wearing. If you lack the room to become large, your size doesn't change. You have advantage on strength checks and strength saving throws. Your weapon attacks deal an extra, extra D6. You can use this feature twice, and you regain all expended uses of it when you finish a long rest. Okay, so once a day, basically, or no, sorry, twice a day, get to bounce up to large. And boy, I know the people that love to use enlarge and other spells to try to get up as big as possible so they can grasp, <laughs> grapple Tarasks are going to love that one because that gives you a free bump up to large. And then you can start trying to bump it up farther than that. But that's pretty cool. Become large, get advantage on strength stuff. And you get an extra d6 damage to your weapon. I like it. 
Here we go. Seventh level, you get defensive runes. You learn to invoke your rune magic to protect your allies. When another creature you can see within 60 feet of you is hit by an attack roll, use your reaction to grant a bonus to the creature's AC against that attack. The bonus equals one plus your int modifier. Minimum plus two. In addition, you learn one new rune of your choice from the moon rune magic feature for a total of three. Okay, so you get two to start. Then at seventh level, you gain three. And you can swap out runes if you don't like it. This was interesting because you can use this. Does it say how many times you can use it? No. So basically, you can give plus two or more. And since a lot of this is int based, I'm assuming that int is maybe going to be your second stat. So maybe you're going to end up having plus two or plus three to start or down the line. So probably going to end up with a plus three or plus four bonus AC. That could be a nice swing, but it uses that reaction. So. Some of these other ones that use reactions, like that storm rune, it's uh, gonna have a, gonna have a little choice there since you only got one reaction you can use. But it's a good option, and not all the runes use reactions, so it's all good. Here we go, great stature, tenth level rune knight feature. The magic of your runes permanently alters you. When you gain this feature, roll three d four. You grow a number of inches in height equal to the roll. Wow. Moreover, the extra damage you deal with your giant might feature increases to 1d8. Okay, pretty cool. In addition, you learn one new rune of your choice from your rune magic feature for a total of four. Alright, so then we have a 10th level, you now have four runes. And you see, you get some extra damage and you grow bigger, which is cool. So if you were, uh, I wonder, did they, did they say in, in inches how, 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 what the difference is between medium and large when that line is crossed. I wonder if you're playing, if you end up playing like a Goliath or one of the larger races and then you use this feature to then jump so many inches, could you potentially push up into the next size? I don't know. Food for thought. Rune Magic Mastery. This is 15th level now. You can invoke each rune you know from your rune magic feature twice rather than once and you regain all expended uses when you finish a short or long rest. Okay, so this is really increases the amount of runage you can indulge in in addition you learn one new rune of your choice from the rune magic features now you got five 15th level you got five and you can use everything twice blessing of the all father at 18 which i guess looks looks like this is your capstone you learn how to share your rune magic with your allies when you use your giant might feature you can choose one willing creature you can see within 60 feet Chosen creature also gains the benefit of your giant might feature that's cool if you've got another fighter or the Druid or I don't know whomever who's up front with you battling away you guys can both kind of hulk up at the same time pretty cool as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when I was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming I wish I had used indeed if you need to hire you need indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, so let's move on to Rangers. Ranger archetype. This is the Swarm Keeper. Feeling a deep connection to the world around them, some rangers reach out through their magical connection to nature and gather a host of fae spirits, which take the form of swarming beasts, be they buzzing insects, fluttering birds, slippery squids, or otherwise. The swarm becomes a potent force in battle as well as helpful, if potentially disturbing, company for the ranger. Some swarm keepers are outcasts or hermits keeping to themselves and their attendant swarms rather than dealing with the discomfort of others. Other swarm keepers enjoy building vibrant communities that work for the mutual benefit of all those they consider part of their swarm. Okay. Well, there you have it. There's some nice little flavor. I would say not quite as useful fictionally as the Giants one, since that gave more kind of hooks for how you could integrate rune magic in your campaign. But again, for the ranger, they're not. It's not as big of change the swarm keeper is having now. The giants are potentially sp- spreading runes around and carving them into hills and whatnot. All right, third level, swarm keeper, swarm keeper magic. You learn the mage hand cantrip if you don't already know it. Mage hand is oops, mage hand is very useful, so that's a lot of fun. When you cast it, the hand takes the form of swarming nature spirits. I like that. You also learn an additional spell when you reach certain levels in this class, as shown in the Swarm Keeper spells table. These spells count as ranger spells for you, but don't count against the number of ranger spells you know. Okay, so let's see. We get third level Fairy Fire, fifth level Web, ninth level Gaseous Form, seventeenth level Giant Insect, seventeenth level Insect Plague, and they're all thematic to swarms and little guys. Okay, it doesn't say how often you can cast them. Is it just your normal spell slots? I would imagine, maybe. Gathered Swarm, 3rd and 11th level. You magically attract a swarm of face spirits that look like tiny beasts of your choice. The swarm remains in your space, falling on you or through your clothing, or flying and skittering immediately around you within your space. That's a creepy image. I guess since it's October, it's kind of halloween E. As a bonus action, you can agitate the swarm for one minute. For the duration, some of the swarm clings to your weapon or follows your strike when you attack. Once during each of your turns, when you hit a creature with a weapon attack, you can deal an extra 1d6 force damage to that creature, and the swarm moves the creature up to 5 feet towards you or away from you. At 11th level, the extra damage increases to 2d6. So some nice little push-pulls. Obviously, you can use that to get out of trouble. If you need to get away from something and you've got the swarm, you can just don't have to make any kind of special uh, special attacks. You can still do damage to them. You just If you hit, you know, you just get to move them away a bit or bring them to you. Um, though, I guess, what weapon would you have to use? I guess it doesn't say it has to be a melee weapon, so I guess potentially you could use an arrow to bring them five feet closer, or maybe if you had a spear or something with reach, you could pull them closer to you. 
that's an interesting one. I maybe you need maybe you could play with particularly if you're using minis on squares. If an enemy's kind of next to you, between you and another person, you need to want to move away from the other person, kind of pull them sideways towards you. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure how that would work. Let's see, you can use this feature a number of times equal to your wisdom modifier and you regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. Uh, so at 11th level, extra damage increases to 2d6. Okay. So you can do this for a minute. You can only use it only once. Oh, sorry, no. Equal to the number of times your wisdom modifier. So a few times. Get him back after a long rest. All right. Writhing Tide, 7th level Swarm Keeper feature. You can condense part of your swarm into a focused mass that lifts or sweeps you along. Whenever you activate your gathering gathered swarm feature, choose one of the following additional benefits. Your walking speed increases by 10 feet, and you can take the disengage action as a bonus action. That's nice. You gain a climb speed equal to your walking speed. You can climb difficult surfaces, including upside down on ceilings, without making an ability check. Also nice. You gain a flying speed of 10 feet and can hover. Is there anything else? Those are all pretty cool. Situational. Walk speed increasing by 10 feet is, you know, it's... I don't know how often that's going to come up, that extra 10 feet, but you never know. Sometimes that you need just that 10 feet more is what you need to get you away from something or close to something. But being able to disengage as a bonus action, that's really nice. And then climbing is cool under the right circumstances. Uh, and flying speed is also cool. This only, it's only 10 feet, but still, it may help you when you need to. 10 feet per turn if you're doing that out of combat. That's what, if you have it, this is on for one minute, so that's 10 rounds. So that's, you could fly 100 feet and hover in that minute, so that's pretty good. Alright, what's next? Scuttling Eyes, I like the name. 11th level. As an action, you can magically form one of the spirits of your swarm into the shape of a tiny beast of your choice. The transformation lasts for one hour, at which point the spirit disappears. For the duration, the spirit has a speed of 40 feet, which it can use to walk, climb, fly, or swim. The spirit has your senses and telepathically relays what it sees and hears to you. During your turn, you can speak through the spirit, telepathically command it to move, and it can hide using your Bonus to dexterity stealth checks. Spirit has AC 18. If it takes damage, you must succeed on a wisdom saving throw. DC equal to 10 or half the damage dealt, whichever is higher, or the spirit disappears. As an action, you can dismiss the spirit early. If you do, you can magically teleport to an unoccupied space within five feet of where the spirit disappeared. Okay. Once you use this feature, you can't do so again until you finish a long rest. You can also use it again by expending a spell slot of third level or higher. All right, that's interesting. It's so it's like you get a, a temporary uh, familiar, but the the ability to teleport to where it is or where it was. Oh, that could be a lot of fun. Potentially breaking people, much like flying, will you know gets dinged and some people hate it for ways they feel like it breaks spaces. Uh, this I could see, you know, okay, I got scuttling eyes, I send it out somewhere, oh, it's got a safe spot. It can move 40 feet a turn, and it can fly. So it can get to a lot of interesting spots, and then, oh, there's an occupied space right there, boom, I'm going to teleport there. You could get around a lot of trouble that way. So it'll be interesting to see 
what the reaction is from a lot of GMs because, like I said, I feel like a lot of GMs have troubles with those sorts of things where they feel like they've set up a challenge for the party in this physical environment, and then all of a sudden they've just got this end around. But this is 11th level, so by the time you reach 11th level, you got a lot more toys and there are a lot more abilities to play. So maybe by the time you get it, it doesn't matter quite so much, but it's interesting. Okay, Storm of Minions, 15th level Swarm Keeper feature, and they don't have an 18th one, so I guess they just. They're just relying on the efficacy and kind of number of usages of the uh, other powers is increasing. Let's see what they got. Your swarm can expel, expel a seething storm of spirits that drains life from others. That's creepy. As an action, you create a magical sphere filled with an enraged swarm centered on a point you could see within 120 feet of you. The sphere has a 10-foot radius and lasts for a minute. The sphere is difficult terrain for creatures other than you. A creature other than you that starts its turn in the sphere's area must make a constitution saving throw against your spell save DC. On a failed save, the creature takes 2d8 necrotic damage and is blinded until the start of its next turn. On a successful save, it takes half as much damage and isn't blinded. At the start of your turn, if any number of small or larger creatures took necrotic damage from the swarm, you regain 1d8 hit points. On subsequent turns, you can use a bonus action to move the sphere up to 30 feet. When you activate this feature, you can choose any number of creatures you can see to be unaffected by it. That's kind of a bummer, honestly. Once you use this feature, you can't do so again until you finish a long rest. You can also use it again by expending a spell slot of 4th level. I, I mean, I say it's a bummer because I, I don't like these things. I like the part of the fun of a spell like Fireball because you got to just unleash it sometimes. And you have to be smart about where you put it so that it doesn't affect your party members or friendly creatures. I don't like spells that just for free... Oh, and I can edit out all my friends and everything. It has no limit, whatever. I, I prefer that you're going to have to game plan. I'm going to put that sphere, and then you have to tactically think about where am I going to put it? Where do I need to move it? Oh, sorry, but I got to get it over here, and you're in the way now, so you're just going to have to take that, eat that damage, or I'm going to figure out another way. I just like that better as a model. It forces more cooperation, more tactical thinking than, oh, I can just edit everybody I love in the world out of it. So that's just a personal thing. But it is 15th level, so it is a high-level feature, but... Those kind of abilities just bum me out a little bit. I, I want I want players to have to think about these things and not just be able to edit out everybody, you know, out of the effect. Even though, yes, I know it's magic and whatever. That's just my that's just how I roll, personally. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, on to the rogues. Roguish archetype. The revived. You have had a soul-shaking realization. You've been dead before, yet somehow you are alive again. This life isn't your first. It might not even be your second. 
Your past life or lives are unclear to you, but you know that you, ha- that you passed through the gates of death and the powers of death or some other influence wasn't done with you. You might have convinced the deity to let you return to the material plane. Perhaps you signed a deal with a fiend, or maybe you used an artifact that revived you. Whatever force brought you back, you now know the truth about yourself, that you're one of death's representatives among the living. Very flavorful, very October Halloween. I like it. Let's see what the powers are. Tokens of past lives. Third level revived feature. Okay, you remember talents you had in your previous life. When you finish a long rest, you regain one skill or tool proficiency of your choice. You can replace this proficiency with another when you finish a long rest. That's interesting. So is it just, okay, so the only thing I wonder, is it just anything or do I have to come up with another character? Like, do I have to say if I was going to take this up that in my previous life I was another class so that I know, well, it doesn't really say, it just says you gain one skill or tool proficiency of your choice. All right. So I guess if this is not your first or even your second or third life that potentially you've had any number of classes. So I guess the idea is that you've had a number of class, a number of lives enough to be able to have access to basically any proficiency that you could swap to during a long rest. Very cool. Certainly it allows you to, when you can prepare for stuff, if you know you're going in a certain environment, you know you're going to have to need certain skills, certain things that you can then swap those proficiencies to try to match up. That's cool. Okay. Revived nature. Third level. Your newfound connection to death gives you the following benefits. You have advantage on saving throws against disease and being poisoned, and you have resistance to poison damage. You don't need to eat, drink, or breathe. You don't need to sleep. When you take a long rest, you must spend at least four hours in an inactive, motionless state rather than sleeping. In this state, you remain semi-conscious and you can hear as normal. Okay? I mean, not being able, not having to eat, drink, or breathe, very handy. Particularly in a campaign that might have a lot of intrigue and things like people being poisoned or whatnot. The fact that you can essentially don't have to do that means that you might be immune to certain things. In effect, in the kind of social settings, anyway. Let's see, you have to spend four hours in an inactive, motionless state, but you can hear. So you're good to just, they could prop you up in a corner. I guess your eyes are closed. It doesn't say you can see, but it does say you can hear. So there you get it. So it's not quite as good as maybe, I don't know, whatever it was. What's the class, the Eberron class that I guess probably doesn't have to close their eyes to do anything at all. But at least you can hear. So you're not, you'll have some chance of, you know, avoiding nasty surprises in the night. All right, what else we got? Whoops, I went the wrong way again. Uh, whoops. Okay, I gotta go back. Bolts from the Grave, another third level feature. You have learned to unleash bolts of necrotic energy from within your revived body. Immediately after you use your cunning action, you can make a ranged spell attack against a creature within 30 feet of you, provided you haven't used your sneak attack this turn. You're proficient with it, and you add your dexterity modifier to its attack and damage rolls. A creature hit by this attack takes necrotic damage equal to your sneak attack. This uses your sneak attack for the turn. Alright. Wow, so you can sit there from afar. You don't have to be kind of up on them, and you can use your sneak attack to 
roll out some necrotic damage. That's pretty cool. Ranged spell attack. All right. Connect with the dead. Ninth level. You can create a link with a spirit through their corpse. When you do so, you cast a speak with dead spell without using a spell slot or material components. Intelligence is your spell casting ability for this spell. Speaking with the dead in this way temporarily gives you a capability from a past life. You're unsure whether it's from your past or the spirits. When the spell ends, you gain one random benefit from the revived capabilities table. The benefit lasts until you finish a short or long rest. Let's see, here they have a revived capabilities table. Three, one, you learn how to speak, read, and write one language of your choice. Two, you gain one skill or tool proficiency of your choice. Three, you gain proficiency with one saving throw of your choice. I mean, I like the idea. I feel like that revived capabilities is super bland. Uh, it, the second one, the tool proficiency you're already getting from that other ability. So I question the usefulness of getting another one like that. I mean, how many skill or tool proficiencies are you going to need? I guess the other one doesn't cover tool proficiencies, but still, just seems like a little bit weak. And then the saving throw proficiency, yeah, it can be handy and it's practical. I don't know. I just, I kind of wish, and, and maybe if I use this, I might want to be more flavorful with what this dead body had or, you know, something like talk to your GM about, what this creature knew or did or something. Maybe you get an ability of that creature. Something. I don't know. Something. These seem a little bit just blah. I mean, yeah, they're fine, but it's a ninth level feature, and given what other people are going to know and have available to them in your party at ninth level, the speak, read, and write one language of your choice, very situational. Could be spots where it's really useful, but maybe for the most part, other people are going to have that kind of thing covered. Or you're not going to be in a spot where you need that. The second one is just kind of blah, and it's sort of covered by the other ability, which you get earlier on, so not super useful. And it only lasts until a short, your next short or long rest, so it's not like it's going to be on for a long time. And then saving a throw proficiency, super situational. You know you're going up against a specific creature or opponent, and you know you're going to need that save. You don't, and it's not one of your stronger ones. Yeah, it's going to be useful, but I question how often that's going to happen where you have enough foreknowledge to set all this up. So, eh, I love the idea that thematically the, the flavor of it is great, but the practical part of it is pretty bleh. All right. Audience with death, 13th level. When at death's door, you can converse with the powers of death. You have advantage on death saving throws. And whenever you make a death saving throw, your spirit can ask an entity of death a question that can be answered with yes, no, or unknown. So basically, it's the kind of wheel or woe with death. The entity answers truthfully using the knowledge of all those who have died. In addition, whenever you have zero hit points and are healed or stabilized, you could change any of your personal characteristics, personality traits, ideal, bond, or flaw. Okay, that's super cool. But it's one of those really situational things. I wonder how many. I mean, I, I in another video, I talk about a, a three supplement I put out about, um, you know, ideals and flaws to help kind of spice them up. I don't know how many people really play with that character generation stuff. I tend to think they just kind of get set and then forgotten. So if you're in a game that plays with those, it's kind of cool. You can change them or you're someone that's really serious about your RP and you really love that stuff. Then that's kind of cool. 
but for a lot of other people that's kind of a nothing feature i mean people change their traits ideals bonds and flaws without any kind of magical type effect like this so wheeler woe is cool but man 13th level for wheeler woe i don't know when that spell i don't know what level spell that is but that's awfully high you do get advantage on death saving throws which is very handy so hopefully you have that so you're not getting to ask a lot of those questions because that means you're not missing or making a lot of saving throws. So it's kind of interesting. I almost wonder if that shouldn't be, I don't know, because the level these are coming out, 13th level, I don't know if I find that that's worth it, but it, it's flavorful. I like the flavor of it. I just wonder about the overall usefulness at the level that you're getting it and that other part where you just get to change up your personality. but. I don't know. The game's not hardcore about enforcing your personality, so it's not like a game like, say, Pendragon, where, in which your personality might de determine a lot of what you do, uh, you know, when making those roles for or against different ideals and whatnot. In D&D, it doesn't really work that way, so it's, it's kind of like having it do something with, hey, you could change your alignment when most games ignore alignment or don't play it or you know, whatever, so just not super useful. Here we go. Ethereal Jaunt. Like a ghost, you have the ability to slip in and out of the ethereal plane. You can now use your cunning action to teleport to an unoccupied space within 30 feet of you. You don't need to see that space to teleport to it, but your, but your teleportation fails, wasting your bonus action if you attempt to teleport through magical force that is medium or larger, such as a wall of force. You appear in a space occupied by another creature or filled by an object. You are immediately shunted to the nearest unoccupied space that you can occupy and take force damage equal to twice the number of feet you are shunted. So you get, you know, Ethereal John. Okay, so you get a teleport. Only 30 feet. Useful, not amazing, but still it's useful. Can't go through any kind of magical forces. At 17th level, you're probably going to be running into more... Um, arcane sort of weird stuff like that. So that's that's might be a, a a big hit depending depending on how often those things are coming up. You can take damage if you can't go to where you want to, but you don't have to see where you're going, so that's kind of a bonus. So you could you know uh, teleport into a locked room, or some other kind of space where you can't get in otherwise. Let's see how many times you can so you can use your cunning actions, but you can do it. You can use your cunning action, so you can use your, uh, I guess you can use it at any, any, any point. So it takes up your bonus action. So I, it's cool. I mean, you can use it all the time. You can bounce around like a, a ping pong ball. But you can get hacked by it. I don't know, 17th level, I guess that's cool. I, you know, I, I could just imagine outside of combat or something where you're, someone's using a hero jaunt to just bounce around. They're not walking or running anymore they're just jaunting space to space there's nothing really to stop you from doing that it doesn't say outside of combat you know you're getting six seconds every six seconds you can jaunt along it's interesting uh so that's all of them i will say that just in first blush just first read my favorite thematically is probably the rogue i, I like the idea of the sort of the 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 death agent though you know, and the theme of a lot of the powers is cool it would have been nice to have more of the agent stuff in there like you are representative of death what that means not just you asking death questions or whatever but do you have some kind of responsibility is the 
as they said in Ghostbusters, does that door swing both ways of, of your what you're getting and you know what you need to do? I could see that being a hit with GMs that love to do things like use warlock patrons. Here's another one that you're associated with now, the entity of death. What does that mean for you and what may be required of you? There's a lot that could be done with that. But the powers themselves are kind of meh for the most part when you actually look at what they're doing. The Swarm Keeper is kind of interesting. It, I don't know that it's... I don't know that I would pick it. I, I mean, the Rune one kind of seems to me the most practically have a lot going for it. It has a lot you can do. You can spread the runes out to your whole party, giving them each a little boon, or you can rune yourself up. Um, I mean, at a certain point, you're going to have five runes. You can use each one on twice, which is 10, which means you'll be able to give most of your party members at least one rune that might fit what they do, and then you still have a bunch to use on yourself. Seems really cool, and I like the, the tie-in with Giants. So maybe overall, that's the one I think is the best, just out of the box. But of course, I haven't tried to do any testing. I'm not great on I'm not someone who has all the maths down, so I'm sure other people will come along and, and balance them against other class options. But they're interesting, and they have sort of a Halloween sort of feel to them. The, the Swarm and at least the Rogue. I don't know, the Giant Runes. I guess maybe that has a little bit of a Halloween-y kind of feel, but not as much as the others, but still... Good stuff. I'm not sure which one of these I would allow in my game if I had, if I was open to UAs, I would probably say the Rune Keeper or maybe the Rogue because being underpowered to me is less of a problem than being overpowered since overpowering is going to unbalance it. If you're underpowered, it's easier to me to kind of bump up a little, which, you know, if you have to, if you have to tune something back, right, if you have to nerf something, that's going to tend to hurt feelings and whatnot. If you take somebody and they're underpowered and you say, hey, let me give you an extra bonus plus one or plus two, or let me give you an extra power or an extra use of something. That's just going to make somebody happy. So I'd rather start from a level of this is underpowered and I can bump it up as I need. Then I'm going to put something in my game that's overpowered and now I need to dial it back. But that's all I got on these. So if you stuck with this, uh, thanks for watching. Hey, if you, you know, give it the thumbs up, uh, follow me everywhere. But, uh, you know, I'm glad you uh, stuck around. Thanks for watching and I will talk to you later. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.